Is there a human side to transcendence? Hello, my name is Stephen Russell Lacey. In the fourth podcast in this series, I will be asking this question. Previously, I have explored the role of contemplation in linking us with love and light. Now I consider the human side in terms of religious culture. Love wants to love someone and wants to be with them, to share, to give, to be united. I offer the notion that love and light are actually two sides of the same coin. My reason is, without wisdom, love is ineffective, and without love, wisdom is inert. So, I believe love and wisdom combined is the universal source of what is truly human in all of us. Now, you may not refer to love and light as God, but nevertheless, you might decide to believe and put trust in them as a universal reality, a reality you may be aware of within your own soul, deep down. Whatever its source, some mystics and philosophers who do not interpret the phenomenon in a religious framework nevertheless have assumed this illumination is both within oneself and comes from beyond oneself at the same time. A presence of transcendence within our deepest being. Do you have this consciousness of an ultimate reality, one that is behind the workings of the universe? Do you acknowledge there is a transcendent spirit? a transcendent spirit of humanity, of compassion and wisdom. When people try to speak about this spirit, they often get stuck for words. As the Hindus say, what is real is often hidden from us, because we are immersed in appearances. Similarly, I would suggest if there is an infinite truth about existence, our finite mind is in difficulty comprehending it. Yet even when not committed to any faith tradition, many people seem to appreciate new ways of knowing and loving, for they have noticed a guiding light that inspires hope and confidence. A clearer idea of the spirit of humanity, of love and light, I think comes when we consider inhumanity, a spirit of hate and darkness, the opposite of course. Turning away from humanity involves terrible behaviour like genocide, torture, other terrible crimes. The corruption of love and light shown in man's inhumanity to man. Having humanity is consequently all about having love and wisdom, not a shallow whim, nor an ineffective sentiment, nor an imprudent, albeit well-motivated impulse, but rather 
a kind and thoughtful act, a sensible concern. This means having consideration for others, their needs, their potential. When you are inspired by a sense of togetherness, an affinity with others, a caring attitude, then you realize these kinds of awareness are present within you. At the same time, it is not difficult to realize they originate from beyond you, from the spirit of universal compassion. Now, one example connecting humanity with a religious attitude is Freemasonry, which is a movement claiming great antiquity. Its members are joined together in an association based on brotherly love and a belief in a supreme being. Another example is the Hare Krishna movement, which promotes human well-being by promoting consciousness of God based on the ancient Vedic texts of India. Devotees encourage this awareness through constant chanting in public. These two traditions speak of a divine being, as do many parts of the world of religion. They all speak of something like the Supreme Spirit, the divine being, or more often just God. This divine figure is associated in their minds with something of which no greater can be conceived, an ultimate arbiter for what is right and wrong, and an intelligence behind the design of the universe. Now we may wonder, do these myths about transcendence as a kind of person represent something true, or are they merely fantasies strongly influenced by cultural influences? It might be supposed that these myths are just images conjured up to satisfy unconscious wishes, images which represent important human qualities, such as truth, wisdom, such as compassion, harmony, or growth, or healing, or benevolence, but which do not point to any reality beyond ourselves. On the other hand, we may suspect that claims about experiencing transcendence from all kinds of people in every historical period, these claims are too varied and too widespread to be reduced to human invention. Now, I have a quotation in which the writer speaks of universal transcendence in terms of his belief in God. He says, Religions are easily distinguished by their representations. What represents God in one religion may be merely a curious artifact to other religions. Below the level of a culture's principal representation of art, there are always a host of the lesser figures which are aspects of God, or godlike persons, or messengers of God. Most of these are some mix of the human and the divine. The great pantheon of figures in Hinduism and Buddhism are not multiple gods, but different aspects of 
the one God. The Hindu Kali represents the creator-destroyer aspect of the one. The Buddhist goddess Kuan Yin represents the gracious compassion of the divine. And below this level we have all the saints and godlike individuals. Gods correlate with critical points of a world where humans are most open to the power of the other. Now this is quoted from a clinical psychologist and mystic, Wilson Van Dusen. In a part of the Hindu sacred writings, known as the Upanishads, the conception of Brahman becomes personal. So we find Professor of Religion T. Patrick Burke writing, it becomes possible to pray to Brahman in human terms and to hope for an answer in one's prayers. Compared with the world of appearances, the eternal Buddha nature is said to be the sole true reality. The Buddha is a human image. The devotional form of Mahayana Buddhism turns for aid to the eternal Buddha nature. Devotees pray to the various forms of the Buddha. This is done to obtain help with the trials of this life. Many people take the religious view that something humanly divine comes from beyond the self. They think of this as an ultimate reality. Each can find, connect with, relate to and gain benefits from. If one wants to interact with what is higher than oneself, then one does need some representation of transcendence. However, for many people who see themselves as spiritual but not religious, the word God can be a big problem. There are even those who have religious sympathies and some sense of a higher presence in their lives, but who are uncomfortable about calling this God. Perhaps the term God has reached its used by date. I would suggest the reason that there are several negative connotations of it is because of the questionable doctrines, the hypocritical misconduct that can be found sometimes where belief in God is promoted. So God has got a bad name. According to Wilson Van Dusen, if you ask the average person what is the worst aspect of some religion, a great many would point to a remarkable tendency to intolerance. This extends all the way from, I have found the right way, all others are lost, to feeling totally justified in killing members of any other religions. Actually, Van Dusen also points out that on many occasions, when people of different religion appear to be in conflict, it is actually due to cultural and economic differences, and in such instances, religion is just a convenient way to identify adversaries. Nevertheless, I would say, through the attitudes of some people who identify with Christianity, 
the God, the God term has become linked to, to dogmatism, to, to sexism, to racism, to power and control in the common secular mind. The notion that God is male also puts many people off religion these days. Hasn't feminism alerted us to the way culture tends to prioritise the male point of view? Traditional society has been organised around male authority figures, resulting in injustice for women. Actually, I believe, at least for some religious people today, deep down, the idea of God implies no specific gender. This is because the God of Scripture as male is not always taken literally by people of religion. They take the term of God symbolically. So masculine and feminine correspond to different human tendencies, both originating in their concept of God. After all, if human beings are created human in God's image, as Christianity teaches, then presumably God has both masculine and feminine qualities. And there are passages in the Bible where the divine is likened to having qualities in keeping with compassion, longing and tenderness, found on average more in mothers, perhaps, May I suggest the idea that this humane idea of God does not mean an individual being and thus not a male or female human being. Now, in life, change is inevitable. At some point, we're bound to experience circumstances that alter in unwelcome and unpleasant ways. We're required to find qualities of courage, of patience, tolerance, perhaps self-control, even kindness, etc. Figures of deity have a human form, perhaps because people seek a spiritual source for these ideal human characteristics. British philosopher Roger Scruton wrote a book entitled The Face of God. And Professor Moser of Loyola University in Chicago points out that Scruton examines the view that God is to be understood through one's communion with fellow humans and not through philosophical speculation like the ground of being. According to Scruton, the human face gives expression to the subjective consciousness of thoughts and feelings. The human face occurs in the world of objects as though lit from behind, he writes. It thus shows a higher and moral dimension of life. So I would say that his idea of our spiritual source has a human dimension. I once saw a woman walking into a council refuse tip to get rid of a fluorescent light tube, a long one. But she unfortunately tripped over and dropped the tube, which exploded in a puff of smoke, and it looked and sounded dramatic. 
Her elderly friend was following on behind, and at that moment, seeing the prostrate woman and hearing the explosion, she exclaimed, Oh God, God, and rushed forward. This friend may not have been religious, for all I know, but was she not asking for her idea of God's help, perhaps even without realising it? Well, her God did answer her prayer, for although she was a bit shocked, the fallen woman got up and dusted herself down, and it turned out that she had suffered no injury. If the help we need is beyond the capableness of loved ones or friends, we may decide to ask the human face of transcendence for assistance. Those attending Alcoholics Anonymous meetings do feel it easier to confess their misconduct with others who are in the same boat, and thus are seen as not being in judgment over them. In the same way, it is possible for them to turn to a higher power whom they assume accepts them for what they are, what warts and all. According to Alcoholics Anonymous and other self-help groups that follow the 12-step program, the focus of step 7 is humility. Asking a higher power to do something that cannot be done by self-will or mere determination. I would suggest this spirit can inflow into those members who pray for help, as long as they take personal responsibility for their own conduct. This image of transcendence is one of human acceptance and encouragement, keenly felt by those who are facing up to their failings. Okay, you might be thinking that the alcoholics turn to the idea of a rescuing deity out of desperation, but many religious people who are not ruined by lack of self-control, who are not at the end of their tether because of terrible circumstances, these nevertheless turn to religious faith for help with their fallibilities. There may be some but do all of these people need to feel despair before they can acknowledge and believe in a divine source of human virtue? In our next podcast, I will be looking at the idea of the Lord as a human face of transcendence. Is this idea credible? Is it helpful?